1: Hi, this is Garrett Sisti. Hold for applause. The host of the Lightning Round podcast and Score More with Garrett Sisti, all under the Bolts from the Blue podcast network covering your local Los Angeles Chargers. The podcasts are great, but don't take my word for it. Listen to this kid. Kids don't lie. It seems. Forget the kids. Search Bolts from the Blue on iTunes to find great Chargers podcasts like the Lightning Round podcast and Score More with Garrett Sisti and add them to your podcast rotation. I'm not giving you that dollar. <laughs>
2: up everybody welcome to the NBA season preview episode of the lob the jam the podcast my name is Patrick Zajac joining me as always is Lucas Han Lucas how are you doing today
3: i'm good man good to be back after our one week hiatus
2: yeah excited to get this started especially with basketball right around the corner clippers of course have their opening game on the road in portland against the blazers on thursday so this serves as our NBA season preview episode. And I know I'm excited about basketball being right around the corner. What about you, Lucas? Yeah. I mean, you know, the pre, when the preseason
3: came around, I was really happy just to get any basketball, but by about game three, I was ready for some real basketball. So now, now hopefully we'll get to see some real rotations, some real sets, you know, see the Clippers really playing up to their full potential.
2: Absolutely. Throw the preseason out the door, throw that blow off or that blowout loss against the Warriors out the door in preseason. And joining us today, we'll have two special writers uh, from the Clips Nation staff joining us today, the first of which will be Adithya. Adithya, how are you doing today?
4: I'm doing pretty well, guys. How are you?
2: Doing fantastic. Glad that you could join us on this NBA season preview episode. And let's start it by talking about the team that we are also passionate to cover, of course, the Los Angeles Clippers. And I think this is really a make-or-break year um, for the Clippers this season as their core stands. Uh, You know, the big three of Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, of Blake and Chris Paul in contract years, in that they have the option to opt out of their contract and test free agency at the end of the season. But all of that has to do with how the Clippers do this season. I think that the team is primed, Probably the best season of the Doc Rivers and this Big Three era. What do you guys think? So kind of give me your your uh, general thoughts about that before we dive into the details. Starting with, let's start with Lucas. Well, I think I think the Clippers could have their best year of the Doc Rivers,
3: Chris Paul, Blake Griffin era because the field in the West is weaker than it has been. So I think they have a a clearer shot to the number two seed, which would be the best finish they've had so far and the Western Conference Finals, which would be the best postseason they've had so far, it's not going to be easy. It's not like they're just automatically going to coast there. But I think the way the field is set up, they have the easiest path to those two accomplishments that they've had since this group was put together.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you factor in Kevin Durant essentially leaving to go to the Warriors, which Granted, the Thunder still have Russell Westbrook and a lot of good guys, and we'll delve into that more in our general Western Conference discussion with Robert later on in the show. But I do agree in that, I mean, for the first time in a while, you could legitimately have a case for the Clippers having the clearest path to the Conference Finals, which, of course, hasn't happened in this Blake Griffin, Chris Paul era. And Aditya, now that we got you on the show, what are your general thoughts about – where the Clippers can end up this season and kind of what, how you think real quick that they're uh, going to do this regular season.
4: I agree with you guys. I agree with Lucas. I think that this is clearly the best opportunity they have to break through, although they had, they had those opportunities in the past, and obviously either they blew it or they had some flukes, bad bounces. I would say they have a good shot not only of getting to the Western Conference Finals, but also of getting the two-seed, in the regular season, because the Spurs, as you know, are a team that maybe likes to take it a little bit slower in the regular season, although the Clippers have had that problem, too, especially to start each of the last two seasons. And I think uh, starting the season in particular is extremely important. I know Chris Paul was talking about it today, actually. I saw it from one of the ESPN writers. Uh, He said that it's it's imperative that they get off to a quick start this year, and that's something I think that we've been talking about earlier this uh, early in the offseason as well
2: yeah and that's something that we really haven't seen from the Clippers for the past three or four years always getting off to less than stellar starts last year I believe starting eight and nine in the first you know 16-17 games before uh, kind of hitting their stride before Blake Griffin got injured and was out for most of the second half of the season of course the team still finished with 53 wins but We know Blake came back probably a little bit earlier than he probably should have in time for the playoffs. And then him and Chris Paul both go down ending really any shot that the Clippers had of going deep into the playoffs. So with that, let's kind of talk about who we expect to really drive the Clippers engine this season, specifically who's going to be the team MVP. And let's start with you, Adithya. What are your predictions for uh, the team MVP this season?
4: I would, I'm going to go with Blake Griffin. I know, Chris Paul, especially during the second half of last year, proved how good of a player he still was. But people forget now, especially because of Blake's injuries and incidents, that he was he was putting together a great season to start last year. It was probably his best year since his MVP candidacy in 2014. And I think now between coming into a contract year and having a down year, having doubters, I think he's going to be playing at a high level to prove people wrong. And he's also younger than CP3. You know, he's going to go, be able to go harder during the regular season. I think he said that this is the healthiest he's felt in several years. And who knows how true that holds up through the course of the regular season. But as of now, I think he's primed to have possibly the best year of his career.
2: Yeah, I certainly think you hit the nail on the head with that one. I'm a big believer in Blake Griffin, especially this season. He says he's fully healthy. I think offensively his game can even, you know, even go up a notch than it's been with him kind of ranging out beyond the three point line, how many uh, he takes per game and how effective he'll be. We'll, we'll of course find out just a couple of days when the regular season starts. But I think Blake Griffin, if he's on his game and we see maybe not in the regular season, but in the playoffs, we see the playoff Blake Griffin that played against the Spurs a few years ago, the one, that is an absolute force offensively, pretty much unstoppable, averaging, you know, 24 points, 10 rebounds, and six or seven assists a game. I think he is what can take this Clippers team from above average, you know, middling three or four seed team that makes it consistently to the second round, but never really challenges the top two contenders. If Blake Griffin has an MVP type season, and I certainly expect him to be the team MVP and possibly challenge for a NBA MVP, or at least be in the discussion this season, if he's up there at that level this year, I think that's what makes this team a championship contender and some team that could legitimately challenge the Warriors and the Spurs in the Western Conference and potentially come out of the Western Conference this season. I'll save my final prediction for later on in the show, but uh, Lucas, what are your thoughts on the team MVP this season? Yeah, I'm going to have to
3: with the consensus here and say that it's it's going to be Blake. You know, Chris Paul is so amazing. But I think Chris Paul is really going to enjoy having Blake Griffin this year. Because that means that Chris Paul won't have to control every single offensive possession for, for those 50 games when Blake was out. And it means I think the, the Clippers are also going to have Chris take a step back on defense and take on less challenging assignments, which will also kind of lower his overall impact. Blake has a lot to prove this year. I think this might be, aside from how he's saying that it's the healthiest he's felt coming into a season in a while, I think this might be the most motivated that Blake Griffin is to play basketball in a while. So I think we're going to see some real aggressiveness and a real chip on his shoulder. And I just hope that Doc Rivers reels him back in enough to keep the minutes low and keep him healthy. But I think when he's out there on the floor, we're going to be seeing a different level of engagement from Blake Griffin than we have in the past.
2: Yeah, and uh, real quick, I mean, we both, all three of us talked about Blake Griffin, Chris Paul. Those would kind of be the main candidates. The third, the uh, other third of that big three that the Clippers have, DeAndre Jordan, let's talk about him real quick. What do we expect from him this season? Is it kind of more of the same, you know, challenging for a possible defensive player of the year last year, of course, being all NBA defense, does he at all take a step, uh, a leap forward perhaps and, and bring this team kind of along with Blake Griffin to another level, or do we expect kind of more of the same from him that we've gotten in the past two or three years? Let's, let's uh, talk, start first with you, Lucas.
3: Well, I think Deandre will be better this year than last year, but I think it'll be a marginal kind of improvement. I think, his confidence is going to be higher because he had such a great year and then he went and he won a gold medal. And I think he'll be a little better just because he was the focal point of the offense with those rim dives last year. And I think he's just a little more used to that now. He has, a, he has more experience being the focal point of the offense and really controlling the defensive spacing by diving to the rim. So the more he does that, the better he's going to get at it. But it's going to be that kind of marginal improvement. Like we, we talked about this last episode. I don't think DeAndre Jordan is going to come out and be shooting 15-foot mid-range jumpers to really take his game to a new level. I think he's going to just keep gaining experience and getting marginally better at the things that he already does well. And I'd say the same thing is true for you know, the other member of the core four, J.J. Redick. He's going to come out. He's going to do the things that he always does. But I don't expect either of those guys to really – bring something that we haven't seen before this year.
2: Yeah, I'm in I'm in full agreement with you there. I think what we saw from the Clippers last season, especially from the core guys, J.J. Redick, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Jordan, what we saw from them from the majority of last season is kind of what we can expect moving forward. I don't know that we can expect J.J. Redick to, to have another career year, even better than he did last year, and he has pretty much had a career year each of the last two or three seasons. But certainly, you know, shooting 45% and above – from three-point range would be fantastic, or in that range, he'll shoot around ninety percent from the free throw line, and you know, right around fifty percent from the floor in general. And let's talk about our biggest, what we expect to be our biggest surprise and biggest disappointment from the Clippers this season. And I'll start. With I think the biggest. Let's start with the biggest surprise. I think the biggest surprise this year is going to be Raymond Felton, specifically because there wasn't much fanfare around his signing. He's kind of been much maligned around the league for, you know, sometimes the effort hasn't been there with some of his stops in some teams, the weight and the strength issue that has gone on and kind of plagued him through his entire career. But I think that he's really the first pure point guard that'll play significant minutes for the Clippers behind Chris Paul that we've seen pretty much since Darren Collison or Eric Bledsoe um, way back when Vinnie Del Negro was the head coach. And I think Raymond Felton, by year's end, will be one of the first few players off the bench, including Jamal Crawford and Austin Rivers, who we know are are pretty much the prime ball handlers off the bench, though I think they're a little more slotted to play the two-guard position. So that's why I think Raymond Felton, he's really the guy that, if he's on, can allow the Clippers to rest Chris Paul more often. And that's something that, Lucas, you mentioned, and that Doc Rivers, the head coach, has mentioned about wanting to do kind of backtrack a bit on Chris Paul's minutes so he can be a lot more fresh for the playoffs and I think Raymond Felton has a lot to do with that and that's why I expect a big season from him uh Adithia what are your thoughts on the biggest surprise for the Clippers this year
4: uh I'm pretty high on Felton as well um I know I'm trying to think I guess I have I'm pretty high on a lot of the bench players actually I know Lucas doesn't agree with my opinion on Brandon Bass but I think you know he could be someone who improves as the year goes on as well, although he had his moments, bad moments in preseason. preseason. Most surprising also depends on what circles you're in. So for some people, especially outside Clippers' fandom, Austin Rivers is still a very much a player. You know, he's this guy who's only in the league because of nepotism, although I think the only case nepotism we've seen recently in the NBA is Chris Smith, J.R. Smith, little brother of the Knicks, a few seasons ago, if you remember that. But, yeah, I think Austin Rivers is someone who could take another leap this year. You know, he's 24, 24, 24-25 is the year, especially when you're a guard to really have your best season. He didn't look that great in the preseason. Uh, When I did my Clippers players' rankings last month, I had him number five. So I'm a little bit more concerned about that pick now. But I like what I saw out of him. To end the preseason, I really like what he brings on defense. And I think, you know, his offense after the uh, after Christmas last year, his shooting improved a ton. Um, he's a good good at getting to the rim. Something that the Clippers don't do that much in the regular season. Here, I think that's something that Felton will also uh, be an asset in the regular season. But yeah, I would put Austin as my biggest surprise. You know, I think he'll be the best guy off the Clippers bench by the end of the year. I think the Clippers' best lineup this year, actually, I think it will be him with the core four.
2: Yeah, and even in my notes, I had Austin Rivers as kind of, uh, you know, my 1B to Raymond Felton's 1A in terms of biggest surprise. And the only reason I didn't is is kind of like how you mentioned. We as Clippers fans and, and guys who follow the Clippers with a passion kind of know what Austin Rivers brings to the table And the market improvement that he's had ever since he came on to the Clippers a few years ago. And, I mean, Doc Rivers has talked about him, you know, depending on the matchup, possibly slotting in as the number three in the starting lineup along with the core four. And Austin Rivers has been working on his strength this offseason, so he can guard a lot bigger guys. So I think depending on the matchup, you're absolutely right. We may see Austin Rivers slotting in in the small forward spot, especially if the Clippers go for more small ball lineups. I think Austin Rivers certainly provides you that versatility, especially just with his defensive tenacity. And that's kind of what we've seen with Mute in the Clippers starting lineup in that, that three position, the wing in that Clippers core four isn't asked to do anything offensively because you have Chris Paul and his unguardable mid range game. You have JJ Reddick coming off of ball screens off or off the ball screens. I should say, and being that perimeter threat. And you have Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. Blake Griffin can pick and pop DeAndre Jordan rolling to the rim from pick and rolls with Chris Paul. But I'm right there with you in terms of Austin Rivers also being one of the candidates for biggest surprise this season and pretty much being another reason why the Clippers ultimately reach where they want to reach, which is a conference finals appearance. What are your thoughts on biggest surprise, Lucas?
3: Well, I like Rivers and I like Felton. I think those are both good picks. But I'm also, I see, I was high on Felton when the Clippers signed him, even if he didn't get a lot of fanfare. I thought it was a great signing when you look at what they got from that backup third-string point guard role. And Pablo Prigioni, who I thought was, like, great for that role, because you get a veteran guy who knows what he's doing, he can distribute the ball, but he's also happy with not playing a ton of minutes. So for them to upgrade that role to Raymond Felton, who was like a fringe starter, key bench player for a, Playoff Dallas Mavericks team last year, I was high on that signing. And I've been high on Austin Rivers since the end of his first year with the Clippers when we saw him kind of go off in the playoffs. But I'm going to go with Mo Spates as my surprise player this year because I think a lot of people view him as an offense only guy, a high volume chucker who got by because he played with the Warriors where they were kind of ridiculously good on defense and offense, and he could do whatever he needed to in his 12 or 16 minutes a game. And that's kind of my view of him too, but I'm starting to feel from the preseason like he might bring a little bit more than that. And when people talk about him being a chucker because of his usage rate, he didn't take that many what what I would consider bad shots in the preseason. A lot of them were kind of pick-and-pop threes where – He's open. And if he's going to shoot 35% on those, he can take them them all day. He took a couple of more questionable mid-range ones, but overall, he seemed fine, and he didn't seem to be a huge liability on defense. I think if he plays alongside Blake Griffin, which is what I'd like to see, because I'd like to see DeAndre Jordan playing with floor spacers around him, and then in the bench unit, Griffin and Spates playing together. I think that unit will be okay on defense against second units so I think he's going to be a lot more playable across multiple situations than a lot of people think going in
2: yeah and I'm glad you you mentioned Mo Spates because it kind of transitions perfectly into our next segment in the biggest disappointment and I'm going to come out and say I have Mo Spates as my biggest disappointment for this upcoming season and it's more to do with kind of Lucas, and I, we've talked about it before um, in episode number one, how most Spates, while I do agree in that he can provide kind of uncanny offensive ability and floor spacing, especially, as you mentioned, if you team him up with Blake Griffin in the front court, that allows Blake Griffin to drive to the rim a little bit more, certainly more so than when he's on the floor with DeAndre Jordan. Most Spates I just think is the more likely one out of all the new guys and kind of all the veterans on the bench to turn into a Josh Smith signing in the sense that doc river, all of the offseason season additions that he's had in the past few years, he's always had one that kind of flames up and gets traded away for next to nothing. It was Josh Smith last season, Lance Stevenson before as well. There's just guys that for some reason don't fit in. And granted, I think, Not to take anything away from Mo Spates, I certainly think he has, I think, a better mindset and and better effort level than Lance Stevenson and Josh Smith does because both of those guys were notorious, I don't want to say cancers to their team, but they had that sort of cancerous personality in that if Josh Smith and Lance Stevenson aren't happy on a team, that can pretty much plague the entire lineup. And I'm worried that his limitations on defense or... As they've been in the past, it could turn into a Clippers bench lineup that features him as the ste- the center and the so-called rim protector. It could hemorrhage points, which is why I kind of have him as my biggest disappointment. I certainly don't expect him to flame out as Josh Smith and Lance Stevenson and those guys have done in the past. But I'm, I'm, I have a little bit tempered expectations for what most Spates is going to bring to the table this season. And I hope I'm wrong. It's it's more so the defensive end than it is the offensive end. What are your thoughts on, on biggest disappointment, Adithya?
4: Well, I was going to go with most faiths, you know, a few weeks ago as well. But everything that I think we've been hearing about him and his relationship with Doc and how he's looked in preseason especially, um, I, I think that's allayed a lot of the doubts I had about that signing. Uh, I don't think he's going to be the next guy in that line, I'd say. Uh, Josh Smith, Spencer Hawes, or if you want to go back even further, Byron Smith. I mean Byron Mullins and Antoine Jameson. I don't think Lance. Actually, this is more of a sidetrack. I don't think Lance was that uh, really an issue with the team off the court. You know, he was with them uh, in January into the trade deadline, and there didn't seem to be any issues with him being out of the rotation on the bench. I think they just thought that they could upgrade him with Jeff Green which may have just been more of a lateral move. But anyways, the biggest disappointment, I think this is a tough one for me. I would probably just go with Jamal Crawford. I think we've been holding out hope on him to still be effective at an advanced age, but I'm just not that confident in his ability to keep together. Father time comes for everyone, and even though he still looks young and effective, he's been declining. It's been clear Um, The six-man award last year, look, is kind of questionable, and it was given to him in part because of a weak field. I think, you know, this is a year where he continues to fall fall further back a little bit, and hopefully Doc Rivers and the coaches will notice that during the season, you know, instead of keeping him in an outsized role and possibly hurting the Clippers.
2: Yeah, I I agree on that front that Jamal Crawford – As you mentioned, Father Time catches up. He's entering his age 37 season, going to turn 37 in March. And I do think that six-man award, as you mentioned, a bit undeserved, though. It was a weak field, so he certainly had a case against him. I just – for all the times that Jamal Crawford, you know, saves a game for the Clippers and and gets hot, puts up 20 points off the bench in limited minutes, and is the reason for victory, you know, I think every time that that happens, you can point to a time, you know, where he goes – 0 for 8, and the Clippers struggle to win or possibly lose because of his production or lack thereof off the bench. Uh, What are your thoughts for biggest disappointment this season, Lucas?
3: Well, I thought I was going to have the unpopular pick of the bunch, and then this year brought out Jamal Crawford, which I know is going to get him some heat from the casual fans. So I think I'm going to, I think my pick might get a little more heat from educated fans, not to say the common is are educated, but people who read a lot and talk a lot are always on Twitter and the Clips Nation comments. I'm going to go with Wesley Johnson. Wesley Johnson is really popular. <laughs> he's, he's really popular among you know, Clips Nation writers and the diehards who are always in my Twitter mentions. But here's a guy who couldn't stay in front of wing players defensively last year. Only shot 33% from deep and got a three-year $18 million contract this summer. Now, In my mind, I can see this season playing out in such a way where Wesley Johnson ends up out of the rotation. And the only thing that you can argue to keep him in the rotation, if Luke Mbamute and Alan Anderson are both playing better than him, is that you just gave him $18 million, so you have to play him. That's a bad sign. I don't like feeling like the Clippers have to play a guy because they just gave him $18 million. I'm not sure if they could have done better with the mid-level exception, and I don't think that it's necessarily a terrible value, but I think a lot of people are projecting him into like, oh, well, his shooting is going to get better, and he's going to be able to play good defense this year, and his shooting might get better if he's healthy again, but I don't think Wesley Johnson at this point in his career is going to magically start being able to stay in front of NBA wings. Maybe he'll be a little better than he was last year, but we have to remember the reason that Luke Richard Mbamute ended up being the starting small forward last year is because Wesley Johnson came into the starting lineup, led up 40 points to Gordon Hayward, and didn't see the starting lineup again for the rest of the year. I don't see you know, him being a little healthier as really solving that issue and being who the Clippers need defensively on the wing. So I don't think that Wesley Johnson really has much of a shot to be the starting small forward. I don't think he has it in him to bring what they need on the defensive end from that position, even if he shoots a little better this year. I think the only guys who really have that a chance to be what they need defensively are Mbamute and Allen Anderson. So I think in that sense, Wesley Johnson might end up being a big disappointment for a lot of people when he doesn't earn that starting small forward spot and he's being paid more than – he's being paid – basically twice as much as Mbamute plus Allen Anderson.
4: I was going to say, do you think he could end up being a trade asset then if they want to upgrade at the position or make a move in the middle of the season? I think the better trade pieces,
3: um, I, think, I think we'd be more likely to see a trade with Jamal Crawford or Austin Rivers because I think both of those guys might have a little more trade value you know, towards other teams depending on what they're looking for and they have the bigger contract. Um Wesley Johnson it's not that Wesley Johnson is a bad player or that I think he's bad. I just think he's a pretty good second unit combo forward. He has the length to help on D, and he's good enough to guard not, you know, backup wings, just not start starting caliber wings. And he hits threes and he doesn't demand the ball on offense. So I think he fits well in a second unit, playing the three sometimes or the four sometimes. I don't mind him as the four in small ball next to DeAndre Jordan. So I don't think the Clippers need to trade him. I think they're going to be able to use him this year. I just don't think he's going to step up to the plate in that starting small forward role where people seem to be projecting him into. I think if the Clippers make a trade, they're going to have to part with either Jamal or Austin. And I think that makes the most sense when you look at the depth chart. Both of those guys are really shooting guards. They've played a lot together in the past, and it hasn't worked out great. And now you've got Raymond Felton, who I think is going to be very good this year. So yeah, I think, I think if I was going to pick someone to be trade bait, it would
2: either be Jamal or Austin. Yeah. It'll certainly be interesting to see how that plays out. I think a lot of that has to do in terms of the wing and how the minutes are spread out is a signing that Lucas and I have talked about before in the first episode that I know he's very high on in Allen Anderson and how he factors into the rotation, if at all. And we'll see how that plays out in the beginning of the season. Um, But that's interesting. It's, it's, your your take on Wesley Johnson there is interesting. I don't know what I expect from him exactly moving forward. I think a lot of people has, have labeled him as a bust, being that he was a very high first round draft choice and hasn't really put that kind of production together. Uh, the size mm-hmm. is certainly still there. The length is there. To which that he could be a competent, you know, backup small forward, as you mentioned. But I think if Allen Anderson and Luke Richard and Baamute take off in the early portion of the season and Raymond Felton plays well, that Wesley Johnson can certainly see limited minutes coming off of the bench. And with that, let's kind of get the three of us and our Clippers win predictions out there before we bring in Robert to talk about the Western conference as a whole and how we all think that uh, the seating is going to go down in the Western conference. What do you guys think of, the Clippers win total this season, where do you see them ending up keeping in mind last season, 53 wins. And that was with Blake Griffin missing 40 plus games, pretty much just Chris Paul and Deandre Jordan. Um, JJ Redick stayed healthy as well. Years past 56, 57 and 56 wins. So pretty much in that mid low to mid fifties range. What do you guys think in terms of uh, where the Clippers record will end up at the end of the season? Let's start with
5: uh, Adithia.
4: Well, I want to uh, put them, you know, at 57 or even a little bit above. Like, I think there is a chance that this could be the best team in franchise history in the regular season as well as the playoffs. But, you know, some of that may just be a little bit of fan optimism. Uh, I think I'm going to stick with 56. You know, uh, although we're going to be getting Blake back, we're going to have possibly improvements from DeAndre. There will probably also be regressions from Uh, Chris Paul and J.J. Redick, not significant. Like, they'll still be putting up numbers similar to the previous few years, but I think they're both going to take a slight step back, especially in the regular season, you know, pacing themselves for the playoffs. Uh, Chris Paul said on J.J.'s podcast a few weeks ago that one of the hardest parts of losing is just knowing that you have to go through the the whole 82-game season again just to get back to the playoffs. And I think that's definitely shown in the way the Clippers have started the past few years. Uh, hopefully, they don't have that same kind of sluggish November this year, but I do think that those are guys that you're going to see putting up a little bit less in the regular season this year.
2: What do you think seeding wise? Where do you see them ending up?
4: I want to say the two seed because, you know, the Spurs have a lot of the same issues. Like, they're already a team known to take it slow during the regular season for how playoff positioning. And,. Although they have Kawhi Leonard in the prime of his absolute prime of his career, fantastic player, and you know probably an MVP favorite this year, if the Spurs maintain the two seed, I think that their other guys Gasol, Parker, Ginobili, they're all going to be suffering that kind of decline and limited minutes to some extent in the regular season. So I think combined with you know shaking up the team again, having replacing almost the entire front court and they're struggling to find minutes in the wing behind uh, Kawhi and Danny Green, I think that they will also take a small a step back in the regular season. Like, I think I don't buy their defense uh, holding up from last year or even their bench. Honestly, I think they'll be closer to 50 to low 50s. So I have to put as a two-seed.
2: Yeah, awesome. And that's kind of a perfect segue into our conversation about the Western Conference as a whole, which we're going to bring Robert on. So, Adithya, thank you very much for joining us here on our NBA season preview episode of the Lob the Jam, the podcast. How was the first time on, on the podcast here on Clips Nation?
4: Hey, it was great, you know, and I hope that people listen to this, keep listening to our pods going forward. I'll definitely be back in the future.
2: Awesome. Well, sounds great. Thank you so much, Adithya. Have, have a great Thanks, night.
4: Adithia. See you guys.
2: All righty, and with that, we're going to bring up Robert. Robert, of course, Clips Nation writer. You've seen his articles and division previews here this offseason for the entire NBA. Fantastic stuff on ClipsNation.com. Robert, how are you doing tonight?
5: I'm good. How are you guys?
2: Doing fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. And let's just Mm -hmm. delve right into our uh, Western Conference discussion, kind of leaving off right where where Adithia left off. Robert, where do do you see the Clippers finishing uh, win total-wise and seeding-wise when the regular season, when it all plays out?
5: Um, I'm very optimistic this year. I think that the two-seed is almost a certainty. Uh, I hate being that optimistic, but that's just how I feel. Um, I would definitely agree with Adithia that the Spurs weakened substantially over this offseason, not just to Tim Duncan leaving, but also to Boris Dio and David West departing. And are replacing them with uh, very weak defensive players in Pau Gasol and David Lee. I don't think the Spurs are going to win more than like 52-53 games, despite the brilliance of Kawhi Leonard, and uh, there aren't any other teams in the Western Conference nearly as good as the top three. So, yeah, Clippers, two seed, around 60 wins, I'd say.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm with you guys. I'm certainly optimistic and, and isn't any fan base this time of year before the regular <laughs> season starts. but. That's just kind of how it goes. You know, all three teams have dreams of winning it all. But I certainly think, I mean, the ceiling for this team has been 56, 57 wins. Franchise record set at 57. I don't think the Clippers win 60, but I'm right with uh, you, Robert, and Adithia in that they'll get the two seed and finish with 58 wins, which would be a franchise record. If you look back just last year, having 53 wins, and that's without Blake Griffin, or or over 40 games. And I know the national narrative throughout a large portion of last season was questioning whether the Clippers are indeed better without Blake Griffin. I think that's absolutely ludicrous, but that's just my take on it. Um, So I'm I'm right there with 58 wins, a number two seed. I certainly think that, you know, all the other teams in the West have taken a step back um, with the exception of uh, a couple who will, I'm sure we'll get to, I'm, I'm very high on the, Utah Jazz and Minnesota Timberwolves this season. I think they'll make market improvements. Not enough, of course, to to challenge the top four seats. So I think Clippers, of course, step below the Warriors. But I think when you're talking about Clippers, Spurs, which seems to be the discussion around the country for that number two seed in the West, I think the Clippers have a little more youth, a little more talent, and a little more firepower. Mm -hmm. I think this year what sets them apart is the continuity. You know, 81% of last year's minutes return to this year's team. So I think getting off to a hot start in the regular season in late October, November, December, I think we'll see them off to a better start, which will lead to an improved record later on in the season because, you know, they won't need that January, February stretch, where we've seen the team kind of take off. If they start, you know, instead of starting eight and nine, say they start 12 and five, 11 and six, that sort of range that two or three win improvement You know, wins in October and November are just as good as wins in March and April in terms of the regular season. They may not feel that way, but it all counts for the same in in the win-loss cost. What are are your thoughts, Lucas, on on the Clippers, where they're going to be at the end of the season? Yeah, I'm going 60. I'm with Robert because
3: I think the Clippers, like we we discussed in the first half of the show, they're going to come out motivated. Blake Griffin has a chip on his shoulder. The team doesn't want to have another slow start. And Doc Rivers is going to be staggering which is going to equal more regular season wins. And then in that back stretch of the season, the strength of schedule plummets and the rest grows. They're going to have a lot of games really spaced out in the back half of the not back half, but the last four to six weeks of the season. I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but we discussed this when the schedule came out on Clips Nation. I really think they're going to pile on the wins in the last four to six weeks of the season. And I think that might be where we see them start to get some separation from years past. They might be on pace for 56, 57 wins heading into the All-Star break, you know, at the end of February maybe. But then once you get into March and April, I think they're going to win at a much higher rate than we've seen in prior years where normally they're going into that stretch they're getting more and more beat up. They're trying to get guys healthy. They're resting in a lot of games because they they have a dense schedule. This year, the schedule is so spread out. I think they're going to be healthier than ever and hotter than ever going into the playoffs. So that's feeding into my 60-win prediction.
2: Yeah, and if you look at the, the schedule that you brought up, I haven't pulled up right in front of me here. Uh, on March 16th, only have four road games on the schedule the rest of the way through mid-April so the last month of the season your only Clippers road games are at the Lakers which is not a road game it's the same building on March 21st two days later on the 23rd they're at Dallas and then March 30th at Phoenix and April 8th at San Antonio so mid-March on they play all of their games in Los Angeles one in Arizona and two in, in the state of Texas so I, I totally agree in that end, that, that the back half, that last stretch of the season, certainly shapes up nicely to kind of get fresh um, for the rest of the season. And, Robert, now that we have you on, we can kind of delve more into the rest of the Western Conference, which if we all think that the Clippers are going to get the number two seed and set a franchise record for wins, we have to talk about how the rest of the Western Conference is going to do and why the Clippers are going to be the number two seed. So I'm going to throw it up to you, Robert, kind of where do you want to start this conversation in terms of seeding in the, in the Western Conference?
5: Um, well, I think we can – there's a few teams we can eliminate right off the bat. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Phoenix Suns, the Sacramento Kings, despite what some people think. Um, none of those three teams are making the playoffs. They're all going to be really bad. The Kings, and they have the Marcus Cousins, but they have no point guard. Their wing depth is really bad. They're just really bad. I don't understand why people – some people have them winning 40 games. Every other team, honestly, has a shot to make the playoffs, in my opinion, for one reason or another. I think there are two teams that could be better than the others, three actually. Um, So we can talk about them first, just get your thoughts on them. I think the Utah Jazz actually are going to be the fourth seed. I think George Hill is just an immense upgrade over their point guard situation last year. They have tons of young guys who can improve. I like Memphis, if healthy, which is a huge caveat with them because they're old and they're injury prone, but they have a really good lineup if they're healthy. And I think Houston is going to have an outrageously good offense. Their defense will bleed points, but in the regular season, they're going to win a ton of games by scoring 115, 120 points. So I think that could be uh, four through six right there in the West. I'm just curious what you guys think about those three teams.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm definitely high on Utah. I think they're, they, they had the type of, young talent blend in there last year that made them intriguing in the same way that I'd say Minnesota is intriguing this Mm -hmm. year. Although I think I like Minnesota's young core more than I liked Utah's young core, but Utah did something this summer that Minnesota didn't do. Utah went out and got the veteran accent pieces that I think Mm -hmm. are really going to turn them into a really high level team. Like you said, George Hill, but I also think that Joe Johnson and Boris Diao off the bench are going to be two big pieces of that team's improvement because you look at these teams like Utah last year, Minnesota last year, and I think the biggest problem with Minnesota again this year, it's not that they don't have the talent to play with the best teams in the league for five minutes or a quarter or even for a game. It's that they don't have the experience and consistency to string together that greatness over an extended period of time. When they hit dry spells, they're not able to rebound. They're not able to get out of those dry spells. And I think a guy, you know, when Gordon Hayward and Rodney Hood are cold and the team is struggling, a guy like Joe Johnson gives you that sort of veteran experience. I don't know if you guys remember, but Katino Mobley, when he was on the Clippers, had a reputation <laughs> for whenever the other team was on a run, Katino Mobley would go in the – you know, in the mid post on the baseline and hit a turnaround jumper. He always stopped the runs, got the team back on track. And I don't think Utah last year or Minnesota this year have a guy to do that, a cool, calm, collected veteran to really get them on track when things are going badly. I think with Joe Johnson and Boris Diaw this year, Utah has – a few of those veteran pieces that are really going to put them over the edge. I'm not sure if I would put them over Memphis. The thing Mm -hmm. with Memphis is their health, obviously, because of Conley, Gasol, and then they gave a max contract to Chandler Parsons, who's had knee injuries. But Memphis is a cockroach. We saw it last year more than ever. (laughs) They don't die. They just do not go away. And I think it's part of that grit and grind mentality that we almost mock and say, you know, with, with a little bit of sarcasm in Clipperland, but that sort of mentality, I think has carried them through the last few years. And yeah, Utah might end up being better than them, but I think people are kidding themselves if they think Memphis is just going to go away Mm
5: -hmm, because
3: Memphis, Memphis over and over has not gone away. And Chandler Parsons, if he can get his knees to, you know, to stay together, is by far the most talented wing that they've had in this grit-and-grind era. When you consider they had guys like Rudy Gay and Jeff Green and Courtney Lee and Tony Allen, those are all fine players, but they don't bring the same stuff to a team that Chandler Parsons brings. So I wouldn't be
2: surprised if they end up with the fourth seed this year. Mm-hmm. So what are, your, what are your teams four through six? If we're all assuming Warriors, Clippers, Spurs – uh, in the top three of the Western Conference, Lucas, what are your what are your teams of uh, four through six?
3: Memphis at four, Utah at five, and then I think they're sort of another tier
4: mm-hmm, after
3: definitely. Utah. Utah, I think I think you've got to go. Warriors are getting the one seed. Two and three is going to be between the Clippers and Spurs. Four and five, I expect will be between Memphis and Utah, and then I think in six, I think six is where it really opens up. Because like you said, Robert, Houston's going to score a lot of points, but they're going to give up a lot of points too. So if they have a, a bad night and they only score 100, they're going to be giving up more than 100 points in almost every game, even mm-hmm. to teams that aren't great offensively. I, I, my, my thing with uh, – I think Dallas is going to be right in there like they were last year. They, they'll, you know, I, I'm pretty sure they'll sneak into the 7 or 8 spot because it's the same thing I'm talking about with that sort of veteran consistency and mindset over 82 games. They're just gonna, they're not gonna drop as many winnable games along the way as a team like Minnesota or Sacramento or Denver might. So I think Dallas will get in. Oklahoma City I think is right on the fringe there as well, where mm-hmm. I can see them getting as high as six or missing the playoffs altogether, because Russell Westbrook is gonna be super motivated, and Oladipo is a for you know a force on the basketball court as well. They lost Ibaka, obviously they lost Kevin Durant. And when Kevin Durant was injured a few seasons back, the Thunder missed the playoffs, even with Russell Westbrook being who he is. So I'm not I'm not quite locking them in as high as some other some other pundits would. But I think all of those teams are going to be in the mix. Dallas, Houston, Oklahoma City, all right there in that six to eight range. You know, that all of them could potentially fall out, all of them could get as high as six.
2: Yeah, I certainly think that's where the Western Conference conversation in terms of playoff seeding gets interesting. And and you mentioned the Oklahoma City Thunder and Russell Westbrook. I am actually – I'm very high on the Oklahoma City Thunder despite all that they've lost this offseason. I have always been high on Russell Westbrook. I've never cared too much for his on-court demeanor, but everyone has their own thing as far as what gets them going. I think the motivation that you mentioned – Of Russell Westbrook I have them slotted in as the six seed possibly even a five seed I have my teams four through six after the teams one through three that we talked about I I certainly think it's Warriors Clippers Spurs battling out for the two seed and right now I have Utah four Blazers five and the Thunder six and I kind of look at it as the Timberwolves Rockets Grizzlies Mavericks battling out for those final two playoff spots, two of those four getting in. I just think Russell Westbrook, who I'll talk about him more as a sort of preview to our league MVP discussion later, but I just think it, people who are counting out the thunder, you know, they have a top five player in the NBA. And I think in such a superstar driven league and with all the touches going to Westbrook now, I know you mentioned when Kevin Durant was injured, um, and Westbrook was the focal point before he himself got injured. They were kind of, you know, not, certainly not playing to their expectations. But I like Steven Adams in the middle. I like Enos Cantor coming off the bench as a, as a big. And I, I like Victor Oladipo and the combination of him and Andre Robertson. I think Oladipo is certainly a guy that, that can certainly complement Russell Westbrook's score in stretches, especially when Russell Westbrook is having an off night. But I think it'd be silly of us and, and everyone else to write off the Thunder as a non playoff team. And I certainly think that the five six range is their ceiling, but I am just too hesitant to take the Thunder out of the playoffs altogether. And we also talked about the Grizzlies. You know, it's 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 always tough to count them out. I just think in a super stacked Western conference, I'm just predicting that the, the Grizzlies can't stay healthy and just missed the playoffs uh and if we're getting into the conversation about the seven and eight seed i right now have timberwolves followed by the rockets although i was it was a toss-up between rockets and grizzlies kind of went rockets just because of james harden and the offensive firepower they have but but certainly if the grizzlies are healthy i think they're they're right there what are your guys' thoughts uh let's start with robert in terms of uh the lower seeds, who, who's really contending for, for the 7-8 seed, and even a team that you guys didn't delve into, the Blazers. Where do you guys see a team like that fitting in, uh, starting with you, Robert?
1: Okay,
5: well, uh, what may be my most famous article ever was last season actually predicting the Bulls would not make the playoffs and, uh, before the season started. And I was considering writing a similar article for the Blazers this year. I think I saw a lot of the same things. They didn't do anything over the off season outside of adding Evan Turner. They do have a great coach. They have a couple of really good players. But the rest of the roster is really, really mediocre. And um, I just think they're not that good of a team. I think I was going to write that article and I didn't because I think Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are very, very good. And they along with Stonzo will get them into the playoffs. But I was considering it. I actually like the Pelicans, which I think is the only team nobody's mentioned yet because just a year ago, I know people were a little Uh, premature about it but people were predicting Anthony Davis was an MVP and all of a sudden people are forgetting about him and his team and I think it's writing them off a little bit Um, I like them to make the eighth seed actually and I like the Blazers in the seventh Um, I think Davis is really good and he does need to stay healthy that's my caveat with them and the Blazers is health but he's really good J.Ru Holiday might be the most underrated player in the NBA he's an extremely good point guard when he's healthy. And apparently his wife's surgery went well, which is fantastic. Um, so hopefully he can come back to play sooner than might've been expected. And the two of them together are already a one-two punch that's better than most teams in the Western conference, I think. And I like some of their offseason signings. I like Solomon Hill, Langston Galloway, Aton Moore. They're not household names by any means, but they're two way players. I think you can play a, who are versatile can play different positions and I think their overall, I just like their vibe going into the season is just being forgotten about. And I think Anthony Davis is going to have a monster, monster season. So I think like them as eight. And I do think the Blazers getting at seven. And um, I just don't see it with the Mavericks. I, I'm going to regret it. They're going to make the playoffs. I'm going to say they're not. They are. Rick Carlisle and Dirk Nowitzki are just insane. I just don't see the talent on their team. So I don't think they are. I'm sure I'm going to be wrong, though. But, yeah, Blazers are seventh. Pelicans are eight for me.
2: Yeah, I'm with you on those in terms of I have them as the worst team in that division or at least in predicted finish. I have Spurs, Rockets, Grizzlies, Pelicans, Mavs and and I'm like I'm I'm with you there. Um in terms of I know that 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 Mavericks pick is going to is going to come back to bite me in in at the end of the season. But uh what about you Lucas? What are your thoughts on on uh kind of seed 7 through 10 in the Western Conference if you will?
3: Yeah, see I I'm not high on the Pelicans at all. I wasn't high on them last season either. Well, I wasn't as high on Anthony Davis as everyone was last season, although I do think Anthony Davis is an amazing player. I thought it was absurd that people were considering him as the best player in basketball ahead of Kevin Durant and LeBron James heading into last season. I mm-hmm. thought it was way, way too early. You know, it, I think people put too much pressure on him to be too good too early instead of just enjoying his greatness without having to try to make him into something that he's not but you say you don't see the talent on the Mavericks roster I don't see the talent on the Pelicans roster I, I really don't um Drew Holiday I like Drew Holiday I like Anthony Davis I think the rest of the guys you mentioned are fine pieces but they're not difference makers so you've got Holiday Galloway Hill Davis And I just don't, I, you know, what Tyreek Evans is, is he going to make the difference for that team? I think Dallas might have more talent when you consider that they've got Wesley Matthews and Darren Williams, at least to pair with Dirk. And I think Dallas has a type of experience and tough mindset that new Orleans just doesn't. They've got, Dallas has veteran experience that new Orleans doesn't have Dallas has Rick Carlisle, who's one of the better coaches in the league. So, you know, you guys say you you have a hard time seeing doubt. You know, you think the Dallas prediction is going to come back to bite you. I agree. I think the Dallas prediction is going to come back to bite you. They're going to make the playoffs. And I think bringing up the Blazers is really interesting because the Blazers obviously finished fifth in the West last year, which is very good. But it was probably the weakest fifth seed that the West has had in a while, just looking at their win total. And I don't think, I think it was 44 wins. I don't think 44 wins gets you to five seed again. I think 44 mm-hmm. wins gets you to seven or eight seed. Yes. So the question is, did they get better? And on paper, they definitely didn't get worse because they kept their guys and they added Evan Turner. But you look at a team like Phoenix two years ago where they weren't supposed to be good. They were supposed to be in a rebuilding year and they surprised everyone and made the playoffs. And then all of a sudden the organization says, oh, I guess we're good now. We don't have to make any major changes anymore like we were planning on. So they ran it back, and the team imploded and sucked. Portland wasn't supposed to be a playoff team last year. They were supposed to be in a rebuilding stage. That's why they focused on their young guys. They benched Chris Kamen for guys like Ed Davis and Noah Vonley, not because they weren't trying to win, a six-minute stretch in the second quarter in January, they were trying to develop guys to win in a few years. I think not making tweaks to their roster was a huge mistake because people automatically improve or people automatically assume that you have this core of young guys and they're going to individually and collectively get better each year because in the video games, the young guys individually and collectively get better each year. It's not the case in real life we we saw Al Thornton be an all-rookie first team player his rookie year and out of the year by out of the league by year 3 we've seen teams like the Suns be a great young team one year and surprisingly make the playoffs and then completely crash to the basement of the league the next season with the same core now i don't think portland is going to completely crash but you look at paying Alan Crabb and Evan Turner a combined 145 million. I don't think they can, I don't think they'll ever be as successful with this score as they were last year. I don't, I don't see them making a second round until they do something to mix up this group and trade someone and, you know, rebuild the roster. I think Damian Lillard is great. And that's why I think they'll still probably make the playoffs. But I don't think they're going to be really in the mix like they were last year. So I, I agree with Robert. I think, you know 7 or 8 for the Blazers they they could get in the 6 range too i put them right in that same group like i was discussing earlier with Dallas and Oklahoma City and Houston i think of those of those four teams i might pick Houston to to finish out i might put Oklahoma City at 6 Portland at 7 and Dallas at 8
2: yeah and i think that's that's kind of how it goes as far as the the national predictions around the country is is i know we know in the west who the top three teams really are, and then after that, you know, you kind of have the teams that you know are going to battle it out for the four, five, and six seeds, and then where it gets kind of more of a toss-up is the back end, who's going to qualify and, and get the luxury of playing the Warriors in the first round of the playoffs. And, and with that, let's segue right into our conference champion predictions, Western and Eastern Conference. Let's see who you guys got in the NBA Finals when it's all said and done. Let's see if any of us are going to put the Clippers in the NBA finals, starting, starting with you, Robert, what do you say?
5: I do not see them making the NBA finals. I would not go so far as um, one of our esteemed writers, put uh, in an article last week uh, that they definitely aren't going to make NBA finals, but I think it's yeah. highly unlikely. Um, the Warriors are just, they're an amazing, they're an all time great team. They stand right in the Clippers way and That series, I do think it's going to be those two teams. I think the Spurs, I think the Clippers are just better than the Spurs. I don't think it's really even that close. Um, I think the Clippers have three players, three really truly standout players on their roster to the Spurs too. And I like their depth better even. Um, So I think it will be Warriors-Clippers. And the Clippers just don't, there are a few lineups uh, that I think they can use that will test the warriors uh, and some strategies that I'm going to talk about when it's more that season for Clippers Warriors talk, but they just don't have, they don't have the the firepower, the defense, really. I don't think any team does this year. I think the Warriors are going to make the NBA finals. I think they're going to win B- the NBA finals. And I think the Clippers Warriors series will be an amazing series. I think the Clippers will win a game or two uh, just due to the greatness of their own players, but it is a very formidable block to go over in the Western Conference, and I don't see the Clippers doing it, very sadly. So.
2: Yeah, so you have the Warriors winning it all when it's all said and done? Yeah. All right, what, what about you, Lucas?
3: Well, I would hold out a little more hope
2: for the Cavaliers, um,
3: just because I think, like we saw this last year, LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time, and you put him in a seven-game series – and anything can happen, but I think the Warriors would definitely be favored to win that series. But I don't think it would be a foregone conclusion because I, LeBron James is just a freak of nature. No, mm-hmm. you know, no one play, no one plays basketball like this guy plays basketball. So I, I wouldn't say that the Warriors are definitely gonna do it. Although I do, think they have to be everyone's favorite. But yeah, I think for. I believe it'll be the first time in NBA history that it'll be the same two teams in the NBA finals three years in a row. And it's, it's, it's hard for me to envision, you know, a realistic scenario where it's not those two teams that doesn't involve injuries. Obviously Kevin Durant gets injured. Now the conversation changes in the Western conference. If LeBron gets injured, or even if the Cavs have a bunch of other injury problems, Early in the playoffs and maybe someone can knock them out. the conversation changes in the Eastern Conference. but assuming you know a reasonable amount of health for those two teams I just don't I don't see it um, and I you know I'm going to be here talking about the clippers can try this and the clippers can do that and if they stagger these lineups and play you know defend this that way, they have a chance but ultimately, I think m- even my Optimist hat tells me, you know, a six-game series, which I'm not sure if they can beat the Warriors two out of six times, but that's probably the best I think they could hope for Mm -hmm. if everyone's healthy.
2: As much as I hate to agree with you guys, I'm going to be boring, and I think that's just—I mean, what any person, fan, writer, what any sports fan can say. I think it's—it's you just can't go against picking those two teams to meet up again in the finals. I think the Cavaliers are the cream of the crop in the East. I don't see anyone challenging LeBron James in that conference. I mean, I'm high on the Raptors and Celtics this season, but I just I don't see any of them even coming close to challenging the Cavs. And as much as the Clippers fan inside of me wants to pick an upset in the conference finals, which I do think the, the Clippers will reach, the conference finals for the first time in their history this season. I do think the Warriors, much like you guys, just are a historically great team. They're going to do some amazing things, be incredible to watch. As much as I hate to say it because as a Clippers fan, you know, we all dislike the Warriors in terms of that rivalry, which is a, I don't, I mean, it's a rivalry in the sense that both teams don't like each other. Um, but as far as talent level goes, I don't think it's really close. The Warriors just have, an all-time great team. And I think it is the Warriors at the end who take it though. I do think the Clippers can give them a run for their money. We'll see how the Clippers look throughout the regular season. Um, I do think they could potentially push him to seven um, though. I, I do kind of lean back thinking that it'll be more of a six game series, but that's the beauty of, of a regular season. And that's the beauty of, of looking ahead to the regular season. And at the very least basketball starts this week. We have real regular season basketball to talk about now in all of our future podcast episodes. We can discuss and and dissect every single Clippers thing that happens from here on out in real actual games and just enjoy the roller coaster of emotion that comes with Clippers basketball this season. And before we look ahead um, to the Clippers' first game briefly to end the show, um, looking ahead to the game against the Trailblazers, one last time, Let's quickly get our our league MVP thoughts, and I want to see if any of you guys predict any of the Clippers, specifically possibly Blake Griffin being MVP. I certainly don't see it that way um, in the discussion that we had about Western Conference seating. I have Russell Westbrook as my league MVP uh, at the end of the year simply because I think on the Warriors – you have a split vote between Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, unless one of them just has a historically great season. Um, I don't see it. I just see that team being so balanced that the points kind of get spread out. And, and in what is sometimes such a statistically driven award, I think Russell Westbrook vaults the thunder possibly to a five seed, maybe even a six, but I think he's far and away the, the player most valuable to his team. And I know sometimes that the voters haven't gone exactly with that. I think LeBron James is still LeBron James. And I think Blake Griffin finishes top three, possibly number two overall MVP voting, given that we all think the Clippers are going to be the number two seed. But I do think Russell Westbrook wins the MVP when it's all said and done for his regular season output. What do you guys What do you guys think real quick on, on MVP this season?
5: Rightly or wrongly, I would go wrongly. In most major sports, there's a bias – for um, players winning MVP as long as they're on one of the best teams in the league. And I think that will um, prevent Russell Westbrook from winning MVP. I think we'll also prevent other deserving candidates like James Harden from winning MVP. I think both those guys are going to put up statistically in ridiculous seasons um, on rosters that absolutely need them, that don't really have too many other shot creators. It's just to be them with the ball. They're going to pile up stats. They're going to be crazy. I can't wait to watch them. But I think you have to look at the top three teams in each conference. I don't think the Celtics have anybody good enough as much as I love Kyle Lowry. I don't think he's a realistic NBA MVP candidate. LeBron will coast. So that rules out the East. I think the Warriors will eliminate each other. And I think Chris Paul and Blake Griffin will to a large extent negate votes. So I think even though I'm down on their team as a whole, I think, Kawhi Leonard is going to win MVP this year, and I think it will be deserved. He's one of the best defensive players of all time, not just wing, just defensive players. He's improved a truly astonishing amount on the offensive end as a creator, as a shooter, as a playmaker, at everything. And he's going to drag their team to low 50 wins. I know they have Popovich, and LaMarcus Aldridge is still very good. But as I said at the very beginning, when you look up and down their roster, they just don't have that much talent. And the fact that they're still being pegged for the low 50 wins says just how good Kawhi Leonard is. And I think he's going to win MVP. As long as they win in that low 50s range and hit the three seed, I think he'll deserve it too. He's going to be amazing this year.
3: See, I'm not so certain that the Warriors cannibalizing votes will make much of a difference. Because I, I could see it playing out where the Warriors are so good and Steph Curry and Kevin Durant are each so good that they might split the vote between each other, but they might get so many votes that mm-hmm. whoever finishes third, you know, they might cannibalize each other's votes and still finish one, two. <laughs> that team is going to be that good. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think that'll happen. I think, I think it could happen, but I think LeBron carrying the Cavaliers to number one seed in East again probably makes him the favorite. But I really like Blake Griffin's chances if everything that we're hearing is true about him feeling better than ever before that he's going to carry you know, a bigger load in the offense. Chris Paul might take a little bit of a step back during the regular season to stay rested. And the Clippers do finish in the number two seed, and if they hit that 60-win mark, which the Cavaliers may or may not hit 60 wins. So aside from being the two seed in the West, 60 wins might make you the number two team in the league. So if you become the number two team in the league, or number three to the Cavaliers, but let's say LeBron is coasting and the the team does it collectively. So if Noah from the Cavs is going to win it, if the Warriors, if Steph Curry and Kevin Kevin Durant don't have crazy individual seasons, and it's possible that those two guys could, or I, I think it's even likely that those two guys will have worse individual box score stats than ever before. So I don't think it's really crazy to say that Blake Griffin is going to win it It's very rare for someone to win MVP not from a top two seed. Mm -hmm. Even Kawhi Leonard at the third seed, when you look, he doesn't score the ball like crazy. And that's one thing that voters look for a lot is just scoring. So he might not even lead that team in scoring. Marcus Aldridge might score more points than him. Blake Griffin would probably lead the Clippers in scoring. He's going to be the engine that runs the offense if the year goes how. We've kind of been envisioning it in this podcast. If the Clippers end up at that number two seed, if they hit that sixty-win threshold and are maybe the second best team in the league, and the Warriors guys don't, you know, cannibalize each other's race enough, and LeBron Coast, I could see. Yeah, I could. I could really see Blake making making a serious case for himself.
2: I I'm with you guys in that. Uh, in terms of the MVP race, I think it's a little more wide open than usual. Um, and I, I do agree, it's 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 definitely coming out of the Western Conference, simply because I don't think there's anyone that can can really challenge the Cavs and LeBron in the East, at, at least not from an individual perspective. Really quick, just to close our Western Conference discussion, I want a quick yes or no from you guys. Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, end of the season, do they re-sign with the Los Angeles
5: Clippers? Robert? I do not have any inside sources the most i can say is just from what i hear from other writers and nba people around the league which is like third-hand information at best everything i've heard says blake griffin is basically i wouldn't say a lock is extremely likely to come back chris paul i'd say is still pretty likely i think they will get both those two back i think blake griffin is just about a surety um chris paul i'd put like 80 percent but yeah what
2: about you lucas well, yeah, I do have
3: some of Chris Broussard's sauces, if you will. Uh, and, and while I, I have not received confirmation from anyone that Chris Paul or Blake Griffin will be back, things that I have heard lead me to believe that they will both resign with the Clippers this summer. It's just a matter of what the team the, the team's going to have interesting flexibility with both of those guys as free agents. With what they do to reshape the roster, it's going to be the biggest chance they've had since Doc Rivers came to the Clippers to make changes around those two. So I think it's more of a question of what will the core look like around those two players coming out of next summer than are those two players going to be back? I'm fairly confident that those two players will be back. I just think the rest of the team might look a little different from what we've seen in the last five or six years.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you guys, short answer. Yeah, I think both of them will be back. I certainly think I, I'm along the same lines with Robert in that I think Blake Griffin is more of a certainty than Chris Paul is. But a lot of that has to do with how the season play out plays out. And if we both think, or all three of us think, that Clippers are making their first conference finals and pushing the Warriors to six games, I think there would be no reason for the two of them to leave. I just wouldn't see a scenario where they would get a better situation than they have with each other right now. And with DeAndre Jordan and JJ Reddick sticks around, who let's also not forget is also a free agent at the end of the season. It'll be interesting to see what they do this off season, but boy, am I excited for this regular season. And I'm glad that all of you guys can, could join me here for the NBA season preview episode of the Lob the Jam, the podcast specifically, Robert, thank you so much for sharing your insight with us on the Western Conference and on the Clippers this season. I mean, how, what did you think of, of being on the show? It was fantastic.
5: Uh, I hope I can join again sometime uh, relatively soon. Who knows with schedules and all, but it was, it was amazing. And, uh, yeah, it was, I'm very excited for real games to talk about.
2: Absolutely, right there with you. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Robert. Have a great night.
5: You too, thank you.
2: All right, and with that final segment of the show real quick just to end things uh lucas i want to get your thoughts on opening night for the clippers it'll be thursday night october 27th clippers traveling up here to the pacific northwest uh of course live in eugene oregon so i already got my tickets for the Moda center opening night clippers blazers what's one thing that you're going to be looking for on opening night from this clippers team
3: a w (laughs) I'm looking for a W. I think this team is, the, the Clippers, you know, especially Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, they want to come out and show everyone, including the Blazers, that the Blazers are not a better team than the Clippers and that the Blazers beat the Clippers because the two best players in the history of the franchise happened to get hurt during that playoff series. I think Blake Griffin's chip on his shoulder is going to be heaviest when they travel to Portland, I think it's going to be the same deal with Chris Paul and the entire rest of the team. I just don't see, you know, I, th- I think everyone, you know, not everyone, but a lot of people agree that the Clippers are a better team. They're, con- they're a better constructed team than the Blazers. And I think when you take a more talented team and you tack on the extra motivation that they're going to have, I'm looking for a W. That's what I'm looking for in the opener.
2: Absolutely. And I can tell you, as someone who resides in the Pacific Northwest, the feeling around the Blazers here is, as you put it, that they are a contender in this Western Conference, that they are better than the Clippers, given their first-round playoff series last season. And let me tell you how tough it is, as a lone Clippers fan out here, of, of just wanting to prove them wrong. And I think it starts on that opening night, and I can't wait. To be in that Motor Center crowd as one of the few Clippers fans up there, because let me tell you, those those Blazer fans, they are passionate, they are loud, but some of the most fantastic fans I've come across at the Motor Center. You know, it's not like tra- Let's just say it's not like traveling to to Oracle for a Warriors game in Oakland. That's for sure. We we, we got to pay some respect to the We Believe Warriors of the Baron Davis era when when normal fans could still afford tickets.
3: We got to pay some respect oh, to those guys. The, the, the modern Warriors, I think the crowds are a little worse than they were before.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, that just comes with the territory. But I'm excited. I know you're excited. I'm excited for some actual regular season basketball. And next episode, we'll actually get to delve into some actual regular season basketball. And I cannot wait for that. So, thank you so much, Lucas, for joining me. Have a fantastic evening. And I'm already looking forward to the regular season. Go Clippers. Go Clippers! See you next week, Pat.
0: Three on the plate. JJ in the corner for three. Bingo! Two in a row for JJ. Big shot, bingo! The iPhone 10R is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love. Like taking those perfect new year, new you, portrait mode selfies you're going to share.
1: Nice.
0: It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today.
1: Hi, this is Garrett Sisti. Hold for applause. The host of the Lightning Round Podcast and Score More with Garrett Sisti, all under the Bolts from the Blue podcast network covering your local Los Angeles Chargers. The podcasts are great, but don't take my word for it. Listen to this kid. Kids don't lie. It seems. Forget the kids. Search Bolts from the Blue on iTunes to find great Chargers podcasts like the Lightning Round Podcast and Score More with Garrett Sisti and add them to your podcast rotation. I'm not giving you that dollar. <laughs>